My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Hello to everyone. A few people, uh, a little noisy in here still, but that's all right. Love hearing uh, and seeing everybody gathered, saying hello and being the church to one another. And, and if you haven't had a chance to meet, I'm Shane. It serves the administrative pastor here. Uh, so glad that you joined us. So glad those of you who are online uh, joined us as well. And it's an honor for me to lead the next part of our worship gathering together. And I just want to start off with a, with a couple of brief questions. Are you significant? In other words, do you matter? And then the last question, how do you know? I mean, when you pause to think about it, at least from the perspective of the universe, there's a whole lot of evidence that you don't matter at all, which of course is why we don't pause to think about it. I mean, from the vantage point of the universe, we are merely infinitesimal specks on a grain of dust, circling a tiny little pebble amongst trillions of pebbles on the vast beach called the Milky Way. Right there, there you are. And oh, by the way, uh, if you didn't know, uh, the Milky Way is one of thousands of galaxies in the known universe with the emphasis on the word known. Now, you may think, well, Earth is special because it's the only place in the entire universe that has the environment to support living, breathing, conscious human beings. And you know what? You'd have a good point there. Of course, then, Mr. Pouty Pants here would simply say, you right now are merely one person out of nearly 8 billion people alive on the planet today. And if somehow you are significant among 8 billion people alive today... Who cares? You're going to die soon enough and you'll just become a relic of history as time marches on and on and on. And about now you're thinking, gee, Shane, what got into you this morning? (laughs) I might as well be up here saying, welcome to Sunrise Church. We're here to help you feel meaningless. Yeah, I, I just about broke every rule of preaching there is. And so I might as well say, welcome to my last time preaching at Sunrise Church. Yeah, but the questions still linger. Do you matter? Are you significant? How do you know? Usually those questions are just kind of right outside the, the, our conscious awareness. 
And they get at something that I believe just we as human beings crave. I mean, like, just let's crave it in the very core of who we are. Two things, identity and influence. Identity and influence. And so just want to define what I mean by those two words. Identity is the defining characteristics of a person or persons or a group of persons. And, and I believe that's where we get our sense of meaning and influence, the power to produce an effect on something or someone. And in other words, where we get our sense of significance. And we're teaching through this series we're calling Believe because we want to know who Jesus is. So that we might put our trust in him, believe in him, so that we could get in on the abundant eternal life that he promised. We're taking a look at Jesus through the lens of this man named John, one of those who walked most closely with him. And in his account, we've arrived today at chapter 5. In chapter 5. So if you had your Bibles, I'd invite you to go ahead and turn there. And what we're going to find in this chapter is it's a, it is a long chapter, but it has a lot to say about these ideas of identity and influence. And the pattern that we're about to engage in is the pattern that, Paul, that John uses, you know, through the, especially through the first part of what, of what he shares with us. And the pattern is he tells a story about something Jesus did, and then he has Jesus teach about the why behind what Jesus did. And usually the teaching comes in the form of a dispute between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. So let's dive into our story beginning in John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? So the story begins with Jesus returning to Jerusalem. The returning there, you'll notice probably by now that there's this pattern that John has. And that is he, Jesus comes to Jerusalem for a festival, has an interaction, and usually with the the, the religious leaders of the day, kind of goes back to up to Galilee and then come back for another festival. There's this rhythm to it. So he's returning to Jerusalem. He comes through one of the gates into the city called the Sheep Gate. And there's this pool there. This pool is surrounded by a whole bunch of people who have various infirmities. They lay there at the pool and it's, it was conveniently near the Sheep Gate because that was a very busy gate. And there they could beg of the people coming through the gate. Now they lay there because not only because they could beg of the people coming in, but because there's this, there's this long tradition of that pool that an angel would come down and stir up the water. And as soon as they saw that happening, the first one in got healed, kind of like the lottery in that regard. And then I, but then in the meantime, they're amongst this group of people by the pool. Now, I don't want you to just think just a few people either. It says crowds. You know, we need to think dozens, maybe even hundreds of people. So Jesus arrives at the scene, and for reasons we don't know, a particular man captures his attention. And this man, it says, had had some kind of illness or infirmity for 38 years that prevented him from walking. And it also kept him amongst the multitude there at the pool. Jesus saw him, and he asks this question, would you like to get well? Now, doesn't that question strike you as a little odd? Get this man, he's sitting there, he's obviously crippled, and Jesus says, do you want to get well? I mean, what is he, that insensitive, callous, indifferent? I mean, does he want to insult the man? It's kind of like walking up to him saying, hey, cripple, want to walk? 
right? But Jesus knew there was more at stake for this man than his disability. This man had built his entire sense of identity around being crippled. How do we know that? Well, look at how the man responded to Jesus. So Jesus says, would you want to get well? And the man says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. The man had a story to tell, and importantly, he had a role to play in the story. The story, as with a lot of the stories that we tell about ourselves, tells us where we find our identity and where we find our sense of influence. In his story, we can see that his identity is as a victim to his circumstances. And his sense of influence was in provoking pity from people walking by, hopefully in the sense of to be able to get some money. Now, this this sense of identity and influence gave him meaning and significance in some way. And it was a story he had lived for a very long time. As human beings, we're like this. We crave meaning. And and, and we will create meaning uh, by wrapping our sense of identity and influence around pretty much anything. And once we build meaning around someone or something, we have a really hard time changing it. Because after all, that is who we are. Right? That's who I am. But Jesus knew more was at stake for this man than merely in an inability to walk. And so he asks him, would you like to get well? In other words, Would you like to have a new identity? Would you like to have a different kind of influence? So before I go on in the story, I just want to ask you this morning. Where do you find your identity? How do you seek to have influence in the world around you? Maybe for you, it's around how uh, how much money you make. Your sense of affluence. Maybe it's your job. Where you live who your friends are. Maybe it's what you've accomplished to this point in your life. You know, for me, I have a long history of building my sense of identity around my intelligence. I was a really good student in school, graduating with highest honors, all those things, right? And aside from education, I have a, a great desire and a, to be right in circumstances. I, and, I, and, and so I have a temp- temptation to build my identity around that, which means, of course, Think about what I'm doing right now and how I am constantly, every time I teach, I am tempted with gaining my sense of significance right here from what I'm doing constantly. Here's the deal. (laughs) Whenever we form our identity around something other than Jesus, we cast ourselves in in the lead role of a story that is much too Small, at least in the grand scheme of the universe, right? It's meaningless in the grand scheme of the universe, which is why if we want to live as a part of a meaningful story, we need to put our trust in someone who is bigger than the universe. Now think about where John started his story back in John chapter one. You remember 
He started with this cosmic picture of Jesus. You know, the one who created all that is seen and unseen, right? The Jesus who right now is superintending everything going on, not just here, but in the entire universe. Yeah, that Jesus. The Jesus who happened in a, to come to earth for a very short period of time to give us an example of what it means to live a meaningful life. Because he was the one who lived the most meaningful life in all of human history. Yeah, that Jesus. That Jesus, that same Jesus, asks you and asks me the question today. Would you like to get well? Well, the next couple of verses, we see this man's response, picking up the story in verse 8. He says, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. So so Jesus offers him this new opportunity. Stand up. Here's your opportunity. The man had had a choice at that point. Trust Jesus and stand up or trust his status quo. And it's really easy to breeze right past that decision. But this decision was was not a no-brainer for him. No. This was utterly revolutionary. He had been sick for 38 years. And he had built his identity and influence around his inability to walk. Jesus offered him a whole new identity. So this man grabbed the opportunity. He chose the change. Then there's a point a little later in the story where Jesus circles back to him and we see again this sense of identity and influence come to the forefront in this man's life. In verse 14, I'll jump down there for a moment. He says, but afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Now you are well. In other words, now, now that you're this, this new identity opportunity, you have this before you, be careful be careful how you build your identity. Be careful how you have to seek to have influence from here, lest you build another sin-saturated identity. Now, we need to understand that because to stop sinning, a lot of times we get this idea that sin, it means doing bad things. Of course, that's a part of it. Oh, but sin is so much more than that. Sin comes when we, when we, when we build our sense of identity around whatever, whatever else besides Jesus. We, we build our sense of how we operate our lives in, apart from God's authority and God's leadership. Now, this is hard for us to see because we live our sense of identity like a fish lives in water. That's why I think those who have recovered from addictions can see this most clearly. Those of you who are in the room, I know there are many. You know how, how hard it is to break out of a deeply rooted identity centered around a substance or a relationship. You know firsthand what bondage looks like. But even then, how many addicts change one addiction for another, right? The one who used to drink now works too, too much. The one who used to smoke now is overweight because food has replaced cigarettes, Now, keep in mind that addictions are far more than mere substances. Okay, we all build sin-saturated identities. So Jesus invited this man in the story to turn from, this is one way to think about it, his addiction to his affliction. Turn from that, but beware, lest he then go and build another sin-saturated identity. Now, that's the story that that, that John told about Jesus. Okay, well, this is what Jesus did. 
Now, in the rest of the chapter, we get the why behind the what. And it comes in the form of a dispute between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. And through this contentious dialogue, we learn that the why behind Jesus did what he did. And we see identity and influence again come to the forefront. So picking up in verse 10. This miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well. So stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was the Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. I get a kick out of this. A man was crippled for 38 years and now he's walking. And what are the religious leaders concerned about? Hey, you can't carry that on the Sabbath. Talk about a lesson in missing the point. Right? But when we know, when, when we know what's at stake here, we can understand that. Because... Because the religious leaders were building their sense of identity and influence around certain things as well. See, these leaders built their sense of identity around being religious know-it-alls and around being, around being rules enforcers. They sought influence by demanding conformity to their particular list of religious behaviors. Their identity and influence was so wrapped up in their system of behavior management, they completely missed Jesus. But before you hold them in contempt, you need to realize we do this. We do this all the time. We do this in church. Maybe you've heard this before or, or maybe you've said such things as, you know, we should sing more hymns on Sunday mornings. Or, you know, good preaching. Good preaching goes verse by verse through the Bible. Or, why are we spending so much time and attention on the people out there when there's so many needs right here in the church? I could go on. Really, I could go on. <laughs> but it isn't about just having differences of opinion. That's not what I'm talking about. Differences of opinion are normal and necessary and good. But it's when we build our, build our sense of what is right and wrong around our perspective, when we then build factions around our ways of seeing things, and when we seek to impose those ideas on others and demand conformance, that's when we run into trouble. That's when we know we're building our sense of identity and influence around something other than Jesus. Of course, this behavior isn't limited to church. Zealots everywhere are ready to tell you how to run your life, especially in a pandemic. Just bring up masks and vaccinations in a group of people and see what happens. Right? And it makes so much sense when you understand that meaning and significance are what's at stake. Identity. And influence, no matter what you're building it around, we do it all the time. So in this story, we see both the lame man and the religious leaders, how they sought their identity and influence. And thankfully, what comes next is we see how Jesus built his identity and influence, picking up in verse 17. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. 
For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, therefore, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you'll be truly astonished. Now, in in order to grasp what Jesus is talking about here and, and then what happens in the rest of the chapter, we need to understand that Jesus is borrowing imagery that his audience at that point in time would have understood immediately, but that we might, some, might easily miss. The imagery is that of a firstborn son apprenticing to his father, learning a skill or trade. You see, in that time and place, a firstborn son was not just born into the family. He was born into the family trade. He, the son did more than merely draw inspiration from his father. He imitated his father tirelessly until he successfully mastered his father's skills and methods. In that way, his father passed down to his son his identity and influence. That's the backdrop for what Jesus is teaching here. And in the remainder of the chapter. And it reveals a central truth. This is the central truth of this chapter. Jesus is the son of God. While he was on earth, apprenticing with his father gave him his identity and influence. Jesus is the son of God. Apprenticing with his father gave him his identity and his influence. Personally, I find it absurd when people say that Jesus was a good man. When Jesus was a teacher of good morals. No, passages like this let us know that we need to come to the same conclusion that C.S. Lewis came to. Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord over the universe. And if he was a liar or a lunatic, please just put him in the scrap heap of history. Don't call him a good man or a teacher of good morals. You know, passages like this go, no. If Jesus was who he said he was, mm, that changes everything. And you know what? The religious leaders of the day, they were not confused about who Jesus was saying he was. That's why they wanted to kill him. These verses provide a solid foundation for a meaningful, significant life, the life that we crave. They come directly from the man who lived the most meaningful, significant life in all of human history. Notice in verse 17 here, it tells us his secret. He says, I can do nothing by himself. In other words, nothing by himself. So in other words, it starts with humility. We may look at Jesus and think, well, the most important aspect of him was his personal power. No, no. It was his humility. He lived the perfect life of dependence on the spirit doing what the father had, was doing. The son can do nothing by himself. Whatever his father was doing and his father in heaven was doing, he did. He didn't just know about what his father was doing. He didn't just talk about what his father was doing. He did what his father was doing. And he didn't do it to gain approval of others. He didn't do it to try to measure up to some standard. He did it because doing the works of his father made for the most significant, meaningful life available. That was the core of his identity. Now, don't miss in verse 20. This is the fuel of it. Verse 20, the father loves the son. Jesus is convinced that he was loved and cared for by the most important being in the universe. 
He wasn't worried about pleasing him in the sense of in such an earning something. No. In fact, the few times we hear the voice of God in throughout the gospel accounts, it only comes a couple of times, and you know what you, know what you hear, right? The Father, God the Father saying to Jesus, this is my dearly loved son. I am so pleased with him. Jesus knew that at the very core of his being, and that was his identity. Jesus is the son of God. Apprenticing with his father gave him his identity and influence. Now, here's why this is important for us today. When we put our trust, when we put our belief in Jesus, we submit to him, we ask him to be Lord of our lives, we become children of God. We gain, get this, all the rights and privileges of the firstborn son. Isn't that amazing? We too then can apprentice ourselves to God, our heavenly father, by following Jesus' example and following his leadership. In other words, because Jesus is the son of God, apprenticing with him gives us the identity and influence we crave. Here's how the apostle Paul put it in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do you see the parallels there? In case case you're not seeing it, I want to make it abundantly clear here with our identity and influence. So our sense of identity, who we are, a beloved child of God, all the rights and privileges of the firstborn son. Our sense of influence, imitate God. In other words, apprentice ourselves by walking in love as Jesus did. The way I like to think about this on a day in and day out basis is my goal is to become who Jesus would be if he were me. Okay, that also allows for different versions of it because we are all unique expressions of who God is. Something, we have something to express of God that nobody else ever can or ever will. So I want to be most fully who Jesus would be if he were me. So I'm going to apprentice, I'm going to look to him and I say, what is that going to look like today, tomorrow? As, as a pastor of the church, also as a, as a husband, uh, or maybe for you as a wife or as a child or as a son or as a daughter, what would, what would it look like? This is how we have identity and influence. This is how we find meaning and significance in a vast universe. Of course, it's not easy. You know, we're constantly tempted to play, get our sense of identity and influence in other things. And in the remainder of the chapter, there's a lot more to this chapter. There's just too much to cover in one day. But what I want to do is I want to show there's three different places where Jesus addresses something in the crowd there that I think speaks to us because it addresses three common ways that we seek identity and influence apart from Jesus. The first one is through charismatic leaders. Okay, through charismatic leaders. In verse 33, Jesus turned his attention again to John the Baptist, somebody we saw in chapter 1 and chapter 3. Look what in verse 35, what Jesus says about John the Baptist. John was like a burning and shining lamp. And you were excited for a while about his message. And maybe a more direct translation would say, you basked in his light. That's what celebrities do for us. You know, they, they have all this attention and they have this aura that surrounds them and, and we bask in their light as a way of finding identity and influence. Now think about that, especially in our culture that is very celebrity driven. Whether you're talking about entertainment or politics or business or the church, right? It's celebrity driven and it's social, social media fuels this. 
We, we like or we friend some celebrity of any kind and then we, we find our, our, our sense of meaning in being their friend and being their follower, being a part of their tribe. See, charismatic leaders seem to fill that void inside of us. But here's the reality is every celebrity leader, every leader will fail you. They will at some point, if not now, including in the church. Unless, or to the extent that they, unless they point to Jesus, like John the Baptist did. Okay, I'm just here. I, I, need, to, I need to decrease. Jesus needs to increase, as a John said it. So the one way we seek to find a sense of identity and influence is through charismatic leaders. A second way is through knowledge. It's through knowledge. We see this, this is when Jesus was confronting the religious leaders in verses 39 and 40. This is what he said. He said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. My friend, your Bible is the most valuable possession that you have. And by the way, that's a true statement whether you believe it or not. It is the most valuable possession you can have. But its value only comes to the, to the, because of the fact that it points to Jesus. Reveals who Jesus is and how you can apprentice yourself with him. If you're reading the Bible for any other reason, you're missing the point. And in fact, like these religious leaders, you can do great damage with Bible knowledge apart from Jesus. Great damage. Now, I believe Jesus' point here extends outside to other sources of authority, other knowledge sources. Of course, in our day and age, it's science, right? You hear it all the time in our cultural language. You know, follow the science, trust the science. The challenge is, is that science, if you let it go to its natural end, nature, if you let it go to its natural end, will reveal its creator. But the current scientific leaders, you know, if you think of that, that most of them demand that you start with a, with a belief that God does not exist. And so they trust, the, the, they trust, put their trust in the knowledge that science offers rather than the, the, the knowledge that leads to a creator. But we do it with all sorts of knowledge. We believe that knowledge itself will give us identity, will give us influence. And it won't. It leads to meaninglessness. Charismatic leaders, knowledge. The third one probably is not a surprise. The approval of others. The approval of others. We see this in Jesus in verse 41 through 44. He says, your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my father's name and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Simply put, if you're living for the approval of others, you're gonna have a meaningless life. And so, my friends, I want to return to the same questions that I started with. Are you significant? Do you matter? And what I hope that after hearing this today, that you'll be able to answer with a resounding yes. 
by apprenticing yourself with Jesus to the God who created you, to the God who knows you better than you know yourself, to the God who loves you more than you can know. Because you may be insignificant to the universe, but you are significant to the creator of the universe. And by the way, this idea of apprenticing yourself to Jesus, this is the whole point behind our, the discipleship pathway here at Sunrise Church. Connect, grow, serve, lead, right? It's the whole point behind that. We didn't invent that. Jesus did. We're, we're just simply bringing Jesus' teaching into our day saying, and inviting you, inviting everyone into this process of apprenticing yourself with Jesus to this God who created you. That's what it's all about. Because we want to invite you into the abundant eternal life that Jesus promised. So to close the sermon, I couldn't think of a better way to close the sermon than with a baptism video. Of of several people who right here at Sunrise Church have publicly declared their belief. Yes, I believe Jesus is the son of God. And I'm going to put my trust in him. And I'm going to apprentice myself with him for the rest of my days because I want in on the life that he promised. Let's listen here. Let's watch this. Let's celebrate with these people. Uh, I'm Jordan Smith, and uh, I'm here getting baptized today um, because I'm recommitting my life to God. I I grew up in the church as a kid. Uh, I was actually baptized at 14 years old, Um, but I wasn't really seeking a relationship with him and after high school I sort of fell away. I lived for myself and really just lately, uh, starting late last year, I felt uh, God calling me back, calling me home and uh, and so I'm here to live out his will for my life and not my own, to recommit myself to my father that loves me and just get plugged back in and, and uh, I'm here today and I'm super excited to, to take this step and now that I'm really seeking God, it means a lot more to me now than it ever did when I was uh, a kid. My name is Catherine Maynard and I'm getting baptized today because I got distracted. And it's time to reconnect with Jesus so I can follow the path that he needs me to follow, that he wants me to follow. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's with great honor, man, that I get to baptize you, Wesley, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, Jaleel, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you. My name is Ruby, and I'm being baptized to walk with God. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, in my past, I was an individual that I, I loved to abuse drugs. I was I practiced sin daily. Um, I, I loved to manipulate to fulfill my desires and my needs. Um, you know, I was a very, very sinful person, and uh, I took joy in it. I, I found that true love is is only through Him. Like I learned through reading that that gospel that 
Jesus is love. He is unconditional and having a true intimate relationship with this is all that matters and that's what's brought me a lot of joy in my life. It's given me a freedom that I can't describe. Um, I, I look forward to you know building that relationship more and more with him and I, I want to commit and I want to make it verbal to everyone that I love Jesus and that he is inside me and I know that he's in my heart and that he's making a difference and I'm here to stay to, to pass the gospel on to others as it has been passed on to me. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mary, go like this to death. Praise God. Jonathan, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm Stephen. Um, I've been here since uh, January uh, this year. Um, so I grew up in a strong uh, Buddhist family. So I was an activist when I was in junior high school. So I served in the temple. Uh, but then when I went to uh, senior high school, I went to a private Christian school. And I think that's how I got exposed into the Bible and Jesus and Christianity in general uh, but what really uh, real mean to the uh, Christianity was because the great examples uh, that were given by my Christian teachers and friends um, so I think that's how I start to dig in more about the Bible and then I found out that uh, there are big contrast between Buddhism and Christianity. Buddhism is a story, a journey from a man become a god, but meanwhile for Christianity is a journey from the god become a man, so everyone who believes in him uh, will be safe. And um, I start uh, to receive Jesus uh, when I was in uh, senior high school, and today I want to uh, be baptized and proclaim my faith to the public. Mary the likeness is death. Praise the 